Well, Oregon's got a new co-defensive coordinator in Chris Hampton, but who is he exactly? We're talking to a guy today who knows him quite well. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Please continue to like, comment, subscribe wherever you listen to or watch this show. Big shout out to everybody who has done so already. And an even bigger shout out to Corey Glore joining me here on Locked on Ducks today. He is the radio play-by-play voice for the Tulane Green Wave. Here to shed some insight on our newest co-defense of coordinator. Corey, it's great to meet you, and it's even better to have you on the show. I think some Duck fans would like to thank you in advance for knocking off USC in that Cotton Bowl. I know that made plenty of them happy. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's not a small reason as to why I'm happy you're having me on here today. But no, it's, it's great to be on. Thanks for having me. I want to ask you about Chris Hampton, because I, I talked about him yesterday on the show and how interesting of a hire it is. He's got a successful track record. Oregon needed a, a DBs or safeties coach, which is the role that he's filling. But he's also the co-defensive coordinator. He was the defensive coordinator at, at Tulane. Let's get into him first before we dive into that topic a, a little bit more. You've been with the Green Wave as the radio broadcaster for the last couple of seasons. What have your impressions of Chris Hampton been? Oh, he's, he's really taken this defense or now took this defense and, and really shifted its trajectory. And I think the focus was really impressive this year from this group and listening to him. He, he brings a, an energy and an exuberance to how he coaches. And, and these guys really took to it here. He, he was here a few years prior to coming back here as a D.C. as a safeties coach. And then he went to Duke for a little bit. Uh, and then once the job opened up a few years ago, it was Willie Fritz's first call to bring him back to make him the D.C. And, you know, he went through some growing pains in the first half of 2021. This whole team did. But then he really shifted gears and really shifted philosophy in the second half of 2021. And that carried over in spades. So it was a top 20 defense in 2022 nationally. And so they, these guys really took to his message, the way he presented it. Uh, and that is the first step. Then you can build your scheme in after that. But he earned the trust of these guys right away. And then that started the defense that we saw this year. Philosophically, what have you seen from him over the, the last couple of seasons? What sort of formations does he like to run schematically? Does he have any kind of calling cards or, or trademarks? What have you seen on that front? Well, this year, the reason why Tulane was such a good defensive team this year is this was an explicitly a zone defense. And, you know, that's not how Chris Hampton started when he first got here. I think he tried to play a little bit more man and try to figure out, I think, just what he had when he returned here. And in the first half of 2021, you can go back and just look at the numbers. There is a, a marked difference between the first half and the last half of the year, just with the personnel that this team had in 2021, the man defense didn't work. And so he knew that he had to shift gears and that meant zone defense. And so it became more assignment sound. And that changed really the, the movement forward for this defense. And he really honed in on that this year. He, it was all guns blazing towards his own defense. And so 
Whereas in 2021, the first half of the year, Tulane would rush five and occasionally send six to the quarterback. Now you could count maybe on both of your hands how much they would rush more than four over the course of a game. It was drop eight back into coverage a lot. It was relying on the back seven by and large to be in the right positions, not necessarily cover guys. And that resulted in a defense that um, was as good as it was this year. And so it was the, the guys bought in to what he was preaching right away. And so when he shifted his own philosophy, they followed in suit. And so that led to the production that we saw this year. He worked with what he had and built a defense that suited it. And that's, I think, the biggest thing the Oregon folks will realize here quick is that he's really adaptable to what he has. You mentioned the shift from man to zone from 2021 to 2022. Do you think that was almost strictly personnel-based, that he looked at the the players that Tulane had and were going to bring in and just kind of said, look, I I don't think I can run this sort of style? Like, Do you think he instinctually wants to be more of a a man-to-man based defense, or do you think he is more comfortable as, as a zone kind of guy? You know, I think yeah, I haven't had a ton of chats with him about like what he hopes to do. I've had chats with him about what he is doing. Um, and so I think just naturally as a safeties guy, as a, as a defensive backs coach, he would love to have more of a man to man setup. Um, but I think that the big thing that happened in 2021 to the defense was that the, the star linebacker for this team got hurt three weeks in and wound up missing about six weeks. And so as much as we talk about, you know, what the back five are doing in a zone defense, really that the key to what this team was over the last year and a half playing good defensive ball was the linebacking core and to lose him for a stretch of the year. I think that kind of provoked a little bit more of the shifting from man to man to zone because he realized the personnel that suddenly he had to work with wasn't quite capable of doing the full press coverage. And, and frankly, here at Tulane, you're not going to get the big time cover corners. You're not going to be able to recruit those types of guys. You're going to have to recruit guys that have some speed, that have some coverage ability, but you're going to need guys that can understand quick what you're trying to do. Like the reason why Tulane was so good defensively this year is because they played really smart. They only averaged four penalties a game, and that was top five in the country. And so they were incredibly intelligent defense, and that allowed them to be where they were supposed to be, not a ton of busts downfield. And so I think Chris Hampton – realized that that was the strength of his club. They weren't going to necessarily out-battle you one-on-one down the sidelines or anything like that because Tulane will not win a lot of those battles with the recruits that they have to bring in. But he saw that he had a team that was fast and that was smart and built a defense around them. He's going to have better, stronger, bigger athletes at Oregon that he can work with. And so he might shift things when he gets there and he'll still have the same speed and the same intelligence with the players that he has at Oregon. But here, with what he had to work with, what he had to design and mold, uh, he found the strengths of this club. What I'm well, hoping I'm he's able to bring to the, the Ducks defensively is getting more out of the safeties position, which is not to say, you know, in one year you can't expect that much of a coach from uh, Matt Pallage to, you know, do a ton with guys that he did not recruit to Oregon. And, you know, Coach Hampton will be dealing with, with that sort of situation. But the Ducks defense this year, pass rush was the biggest weakness, unquestionably, but the safeties were right there too. And Hampton played safety himself at South Carolina. So I think we as Duck fans are hoping that he's going to be able to bring that experience, that pedigree, 
and get more out of that position. We don't know if Brian Addison's coming back. I thought he was Oregon's best safety this year, but we know Steve Stevens and Jamal Hill are coming back. I'll talk about them uh, a little bit later in the show. But Corey, I want to ask you about what he's able to get out of that position group specifically because it was a weakness for the Ducks defense this year. But first, I do want to tell you all about Bet Online, your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. You can get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. Whatever you want, they've got it all at betonline.net. If you love sports podcasts, which clearly some of you do since you listen to or watch this show regularly, I thank you for that, by the way, as always. You can find those at BetOnline as well. They're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting information. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline is where the game starts. So, Corey, uh, Coach Hampton's coming in to be the co-defensive coordinator and the safeties coach. What did you see from that position group specifically this year that might give Duck fans some some optimism? They didn't let anything get past them. Like, that was the biggest thing from them. Like, it, it was very rare that a two-lane defense allowed a big play. I think prior to the Cotton Bowl, uh, they'd only allowed eight plays all year of 40-plus yards. And so, you know, now the Cotton Bowl was a different animal. And you will, of course, Hampton will have to combat with USC again with where he's going. But – um, the way that this team just kept everything to minimal, you know, you know, five yard gains, 10 yard gains over the middle, it starts in the back and works its way forward. And so he had two veteran safeties that he coached here. He had a fifth year guy in Larry Brooks, who was here all five years. He had a sixth year guy in Lummy Young, who came over from Duke, where he coached him a couple of years ago. Uh, and so he spent his final year here. And so he had some some a lot of snaps back there as well and some smart guys and those two had been beset by some injuries in recent years and they both stayed healthy this year and so what it created was two guys that knew where they were supposed to be and you know they're they're going to get beat on some one-on-one routes and that's why two didn't play one-on-one ball and but they were very very sharp about where they were supposed to be over the top and so that's why nothing got over the top on this team uh, and so what Chris Hampton was able to do was really the back five. It was a nickel defense here too. Um, and so we had a nickel back in Macon Clark that would drop back, but also at times be in the linebacking level and rush. But so the, the two safeties, it was almost always a two safety set. Um, and, and those two were just extremely sharp and intelligent about where they needed to be. And nothing really got past them. The, the tackling numbers aren't that big for those two. Because nothing really ever got to them because they were always in the right spot. Nothing was downfield on them. They were covering the deep man. Um, and, and that resulted in a two-lane defense that just allowed teams to get a little bit over the middle, but nothing over the top on them. When you looked at the defense this year that had so much success, were there any areas that were still kind of a, an Achilles heel for the defense that left you wanting just a, a little bit more? Well, the nature of this defense, you mentioned that Oregon's pass rush was the weakest link for them, and the pass rush here was not its strong suit either, but that's the nature of playing a zone defense. And, and there's a position here that a lot of other teams do have some variation of, but it's called the joker position here, in which it's a hybrid edge rusher linebacker. Last year in the first half of the year, that was more of a pass rusher. This year, it became a little bit more of a drop into coverage position. And so Tulane would put eight, back in coverage quite a bit 
And so that meant the pass rush was going to suffer. And at most, they're rushing four. Uh, and so the pass rush wasn't there as much. But the soundness of the back seven allowed Tulane to get to the quarterback quite a bit because the quarterback had nowhere to look. Tulane was really, really good against pure pocket passers this year. Uh, you know, but, and there are a good number of them in the American that probably don't get the credit they deserve. Clayton Toon at Houston, Tanner Mordecai was at SMU and now he's up at Wisconsin. Um, Holton Naylor's at East Carolina. These are some really accurate throwers that Tulane just put in a straitjacket when they saw him this year. The biggest flaw, though, was running quarterbacks. Mobile quarterbacks really did give this team fits. And Caleb Williams, who was, you know, he was still clearly hampered by his hamstring. He didn't run downfield much, but boy, did he extend plays uh, and ran side to side. And this team had all sorts of trouble with that in the Cotton Bowl. But John Rice Plumley at UCF, who is the fastest quarterback in the country, Tulane had a ton of problems with him in the regular season meeting. Uh, the, the kid at South Florida, Jerry Bohannon, who transferred from Baylor and started at Baylor in their in their run to the Sugar Bowl, um, he had, they had some problems with him too. And so the the running the mobile quarterbacks did cause Tulane some fits this year. But pure pocket passers, and there are some terrific passers in the Pac-12. Tulane locked them down pretty much week in and week out. Well, Oregon, oh, I'd love to have that be the case for the 2023 season because, uh, as you mentioned, there are a lot of good quarterbacks. Caleb Williams, Michael Penix, might have Dante Moore starting down at UCLA. DJU is now at Oregon State. The, the list goes on and on. Last thing I want to ask you about here, Corey, he goes from a defensive coordinator position where, and Willie Fritz is an offensive guy, correct? By and large, yeah. So he's the top defensive coach at a program that just had its best season in, in recent memory, maybe of, of all time, beating USC in in the Cotton Bowl. It's in a, a group of five conference in the American that is probably the best G5 at this point in time. Um, you know, the Mountain West is, is up there, but I think the American with the teams that are currently in it are, are a step above. And Tulane, with those teams departing, appears poised to maybe move into that upper echelon along with, you know, may, maybe an SMU. But he's now going to Oregon as the co-defensive coordinator. And I'm not reporting anything here. I'm speculating. But I talked about this on yesterday's show. I feel like he wouldn't take this job as a co-DC and safeties coach after being a defensive coordinator if he weren't given an assurance he would have at least a hand in, in the defensive play calls. What do you think? I think that has to be part of it. Again, I don't. I haven't talked to Coach Hampton about any of this since it happened. Um, you know, Willie Fritz knew after, certainly after the Cotton Bowl win, but even after the conference championship, that there were going to be teams in the Power Five looking at his coaching staff, and Chris Hampton was going to be at the top of the list. Arkansas was sniffing around him for a while, and then and then went a different direction. And so he knew that this was a possibility, especially with the year that Tulane had defensively. Um, I, I think that gave some people some pause here. It certainly gave me a little bit of pause to see him leave for a co-job and a positions job. Is he left a position job at Duke to come here? This was his first time calling plays here at Tulane, and he, and he did it for two years. So there has to be some assurance that he is actually going to be working hand in hand to build this defense and not just coach a, a position. Otherwise, I don't think he would have taken this job. And, and when push comes to shove, like, like make no bones about it. A DC here at Tulane 
is probably going to make less than a safeties coach at Oregon. Like, I mean, and, and I don't think that's the sole reason why Chris Hampton left the, the opportunity of coaching uh, a defensive unit in the PAC 12 at that level uh, is wildly appealing after the year that he had here. And so I don't think anyone is ever faulting him for making that sort of move, but you know, Tulane, you know, there, even with the year that we had this past year, compared to other teams in the American, let alone the country, there's still work to do to get on some of that level facilities wise and payment wise for the staff. And and that is something that's really being honed in on uh, now that all this success has been coming. Uh, and so you know, I don't think that number was going to be able to match what Oregon was going to put out there. And, and so that I certainly lends to part of the decision, but I think the opportunity to lend a hand at a program that was not too long ago and near the top of the country and is still at the, you know, operating at a high level and be part of a unit like that. Um, yeah. I understand the appeal. Yeah. yeah. It, it makes sense yeah. to me, especially hearing what, what you mentioned about Arkansas w- was poking around. Like I imagine Arkansas was looking at him for their defensive coordinator yeah. role, right? Yeah. So yes. That that would all that would all certainly make sense, and it'll be something we definitely want to follow going forward. Corey Glore is the radio play-by-play voice for the Tulane Green Wave out of the American Conference. Corey, thank you so much for taking the time to come on here and talk to the great fans of Oregon. I know they appreciate it as well. Thank you, Spencer. I appreciate it. Anytime, roll wave. Great of Corey to join me here on the show today, and I, I think he brought up a couple of interesting points. The conversion from man to zone being somewhat personnel-based, I'm curious if, if he is, as I am theorizing here, involved in the play calling, I'm curious if it goes back to being for him more man-to-man heavy because at Tulane, you're, you're out-athleted against USC and frankly, even compared to other teams in the American. You, you, you don't have as high a caliber of of player of of an athlete in in your defensive secondary compared to a Cincinnati, a Houston, a UCF. Those programs have a higher pedigree, right? This is kind of an up and coming program for for Tulane at this point in time. So I wouldn't necessarily assume that the Ducks are going to become a zone heavy defense. Frankly, you know, I, I'm more of a man to man guy myself, but I just want whatever works. <laughs> like I, I don't really have a preference. I would say if you have a high caliber corner, like a Dante Manning, who if you can tweak a couple things, I think can still be really good. Or an athlete like someone with the size of Triquez Bridges or someone like a Kyrie Jackson, then you're bringing in that caliber player so that you can go man-to-man. And zone is often seen as a defense that you kind of have to you know, go to when you don't have good enough players to play mano a mano on the back end of your defense but I wonder if coach Hampton comes in and sees what Oregon has and thinks that that's sufficient to you know go back to a more man heavy defense but he is coming in as the safeties coach as well and two guys in that position group are indeed returning we don't know about Brian Addison yet but we do know do know that Steve Stevens and Jamal Hill will both be back this year And one of you asked a most intriguing question on that front by adding talent. This is from Oregon XYZ. 
points for creativity. I mean, I, I haven't seen that name before. I think you have to have a unique name when you're on YouTube commenting. Anyway, but you all know by now, YouTube, Twitter, both ways to get a question answered here on the show. Oregon XYZ asks, by adding talent, you also have to talk about, quote, developing present talent. Spencer, do you think Addison, Stevens, and Hill can ascend and get better? Well, Oregon XYZ, I'm going to answer your question after I tell you about Built Bars because they are delicious, but they don't have all the fat and calories of things that are normally that delicious, which is why you should check them out. If you want to eat healthier, incorporate Built Bars. I've got them in my pantry for a snack that is really healthy, but is also really tasty, high in protein, low in sugar, only 130 calories and 17 grams of protein. I've also got them in my golf bag, literally one at all times in case I ever need something to keep me going out on the course. They've got incredible flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, coconut almond, and so many more. Mint brownie, my personal favorite. You can get yours at Built.com or you can go to your local Walmart or Sam's Club to get your next order of Built Bars. Check them out. Bunch of great flavors. The puffs, chewy marshmallows. Oh gosh, amazing. Just go get yours today. All right. So let's answer Oregon XYZ's question here. Do you think Addison, Stevens, and Hill can ascend and get better? Players can improve, yes. Do I think that Steve Stevens or Jamal Hill or Brian Addison can ascend to be all-conference caliber players? I don't. I think Addison is the most likely of that bunch. I think he made the most explosive plays. I think he looks like the best athlete of the group, and and he had the best season, I think, overall of the three. Being a good player is not just about being an explosive athlete, but I think that those guys certainly can improve, and they've got a lot of football under their belt, so you kind of know what to expect. They're not bad players, certainly. They're solid. They're not exceptional. They're not amazing. Like, think of a big play that either made this year. Didn't really have them, right? Steve Stevens saved a touchdown against Cal. He had a great one-on-one coverage play against a tight end. That's about it for the two of them, right? Everything else they did was was just kind of solid or, you know, defensive backs, a lot of defensive players, frankly, but, you know, especially safeties if you don't hear from them corners as well. Sometimes it means they're doing their job pretty well. I do think those guys can still improve dramatically to make those sorts of plays. I think both can improve in man-to-man coverage quite a bit, but I wonder if they're both going to be locked in to the starting safeties positions for, for next year. Start, start with Steve Stevens. I think he's got a direct competition with Evan Williams because Williams has played free safety And generally, if you're bringing in a fifth-year transfer, he's probably going to be the starter. So Stevens might be a rotational guy. And if that's the case, a guy who's started games in the past and is your number two safety who rotates in every now and then, that's, that's a better position to be in if you're the Ducks than what they had in the secondary this year. You have a couple true freshmen coming in, in Cody DeCambra and Tyler Turner. You've also got Trajan Williams in that safety room and J.J. Greenfield. It's going to be a true competition. You have to imagine Williams is the leader in the clubhouse right now, but Stevens played a good amount this season for a reason, but I also think there there's a reason that they brought in Evan Williams at, at that position. So definitely a guy who, who can improve, I think particularly in, in man coverage and tackling. I don't think he got beat over the top too often this year. He's got enough speed for that, but man coverage, tackling, I think that's where Stevens can uh, improve. 
Jamal Hill is interesting. He played a good amount of deep safety this year. He's a big guy to be playing deep safety. You know, I, I don't think he's got the speed to play there. I think he's much better in a Bennett Williams type role, which is first down marker and in when you're playing in the box. I think Jamal Hill is quite good and does a lot of good things. He can also improve his man-to-man coverage, but I think those two guys, if they can up their uh, up their games and their production level with Chris Hampton now as their position coach, that'd be a great boon for Oregon's defense. Overall, my reaction to them coming back is, all right, you got solid, experienced guys. You know what you're going to get from them. They were part of a defense that helped Oregon win 10 games this year, but also a defense that allowed over 400 passing yards at home. So th- there can always be upgrades. I don't think either guy's locked into a starting spot, but I think both will will probably play a good amount this season. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And as always, go Ducks.